So this gospel is written by John, and as I mentioned in my prayer, he was a good friend of Jesus. He was part of the inner circle of Jesus, and um, he was actually at the cross where Jesus was crucified, and Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to him. He was a gospel writer, that is, he wrote a historical biography of Jesus, and he's written several other little minor letters in the New Testament, some other documents that are included for us. And we're going to look at the opening passage from the Gospel of John, and I want you to, to pay attention to how he wants to introduce Jesus to you. And this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of the things I like to do when I have some spare time, maybe in between meetings or on a day off, is to, to find a bookstore, and I go around to look at some of the books that are out, and I just pick them off the shelf, and I read the first paragraph. <laughs> and it's really interesting just to see how different authors invite you into the story that they're telling. Some of them are very memorable. Some of them, you're like, I don't know what's going on here. But when John wants to introduce to you the person of Jesus Christ, this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's break this down just a little bit. He begins with those words, in the beginning. If you ever picked up the Bible to read through it and you begin with page one, you know those words sound very familiar. The opening of the scriptures have these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Apostle John is intentionally riffing off Genesis chapter one when he introduces to us Jesus. In the beginning, that same beginning in which God created the heavens and the earth, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. I wonder what kind of questions come to your mind as you kind of wrestle with what he is saying here. What does he mean when he says the word was with God and the word was God? That seems a little bit contradictory. And, and, and John is stretching language here really almost to the breaking point. I love what scholar N.T. Wright says in his commentary on the book of John. He says, whatever else John is going to tell us, he wants us to see his book as the story of God and the world, not just the story of one character in one place and time. This book is about the creator God acting in a new way within his much-beloved creation. It is about the way in which the long story, which began in Genesis, reached the climax the creator had always intended. And it will do this through the word. In Genesis 1, the climax is the creation of humans, made in God's image. In John 1, the climax is the arrival of a human being. The word become flesh. In fact, that's what John says over and over and over in this passage. Just this one sentence, he uses the description of the word to describe Jesus. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? What is he doing with this? Let's dig deep for just a moment into the original language. That, that word, word, in the original Greek is simply the word logos. We get the word uh, logic from it. It can mean a speech or an utterance, a message, announcement, or a study or reason. Now, John is being very particular, because remember, he's writing in the first century Greco-Roman world, and to say that Jesus was the word is intentionally vibrating on certain modes of thought. You see, the word, or the logos, in Greek, thought was the impersonal but rational organizing principle of the universe. If you were to ask people living in the first century Roman Empire, what is behind everything? 
they would use this word logos to describe it. As they looked around and saw beauty, as they looked around and saw how there's certain patterns in the world, as they thought about mathematics, they concluded that there is something rational at the very heart of the universe that is organizing and keeping things in its place. Luke Ferry, a philosopher, in his book, A Brief History of Thought, put it like this. Helps us to understand. He said, the logos for the Greeks was the impersonal, harmonious divine structure of the cosmos as a whole. But to the horror of the Greeks, the Christians maintain that the logos was not the harmonious order of the world, but was a single unique personality and one outstanding individual, namely Christ. In other words, what people thought of as just something impersonal, but organizing and rational, John says that's actually Jesus. Jesus is behind everything that you see. And so when he opens up this passage, he tells us, in introducing us to Jesus, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. He was in the beginning with God. And here, again, he's, he's stretching the language, and someone asks, wait, which is it? Was the Word with God, or was the Word God? Was the Logos with God, or was the Logos God? Was Jesus with God, or was Jesus God? And John would say, yes. <laughs> again, N.T. Wright is helpful. He says, John knows perfectly well he's making language be, uh, go beyond what is normally possible, but it's Jesus that makes him do it. <laughs> he's like, if you know Jesus the way I know Jesus, you would understand why this makes perfect sense. The Apostle Paul, in writing to Christians living in the first century city of Colossae, put it like this. He's speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That word firstborn doesn't necessarily mean the, the first child that was born. It was simply a description that was used to describe the preeminent one. So a second-born child, for example, could actually become the preeminent one in the family. So Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know who God is, look to Jesus. He's the preeminent one of all creation. And then he says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When Paul wants these first century Christians living in the city of Colossae to understand who it is that they've embraced as their Lord and Savior, it says Jesus is everything. Not in the sense of the material world, but, but he is the one who created it, and he is all in all. Everything was created through Jesus, and everything exists for the sake of Jesus. It's almost impossible to speak too highly of Jesus. There are other folks that you can speak too highly of. You can use descriptions of me that don't fit who I am. But you cannot speak too highly of Jesus. And here, Paul, and here, John, are taking language and trying to press it to get us to understand the identity of who Jesus is. Back to the Gospel of John. He continues and says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is really astounding to think about. 
Jesus, this man who was born in a manger, is actually the one who created everything. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into existence. The Psalms say, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. I have to believe that in the back of John's mind, that is rattling around as he's telling us about Jesus. He goes on and tells us in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Life is in Jesus. He is the light. He shines, and darkness cannot overcome it. John would later say in one of his little letters that he wrote, the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. What a beautiful description of who Jesus is, and and to be able to hold on to that promise. Next, what John's going to do in his gospel is he's going to shift gears for just a moment to talk about the forerunner of Jesus, that is the cousin that Jesus had named John the Baptist. He says in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John, as the forerunner of Jesus, was known as the baptizer as he called the nation of Israel to repentance. That God was coming to them in a very unique way, and they needed to get ready for it. And it tells us here that the reason why John was doing this was so that all people might believe. God was coming to them, And as he shone his light through the face of Jesus, he was calling everyone to believe in him. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We've got a buzz going on. Do I need to shut this off, Brandon? Okay, thank you. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is what John wants us to know. This man who is called the light of the world is coming, and he wants everyone to know. In fact, later on in this gospel, John's going to tell us about Jesus. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What an amazing description of Jesus. Do you think of Jesus as the light of the world? I think about this. If my friend Jimmy stood up here today and just said, hey, I want to just make a quick announcement. I want to let you guys know that I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. (laughs) We all wonder what got into Jimmy, right? (laughs) And we all think highly of Jimmy and love him, but uh, Jimmy is, is not the light of the world in the way that Jesus was the light of the world. There is a sense in which Jesus calls his disciples the light of the world, but that comes as we reflect him. But Jesus is not saying he's reflecting anyone. He says, I am the light of the world. And he makes this claim that if you follow him, you will not walk in darkness. Now, some of you, I know, have believed from your earliest of days. You don't remember a time when you didn't know about Jesus and you didn't love him. As you reflect back on your life, you you realize the blessings that have come to you because you've always known about Jesus and have, in a sense, been exposed to his light. But for some of us who came to know Jesus later, we know exactly what he's talking about here because we know what it's like to, to move in this world. And even though the sun is shining, for it to feel like there's darkness all around, to wonder if there's any meaning, if there's any purpose to all of it. You remember this quote from Woody Allen, the filmmaker? He said, the universe is indifferent. 
it's meaningless. But it's important that we create some sense of meaning because no perceptible meaning exists for anybody. Woody Allen is a convinced atheist. In his mind, there is no light of the world. There is no meaning. There's no significance of anything. And so the best thing that he has to do, the best option for him, is just to pretend like it does. What a horrible place to be in your mind and to be in your soul. Everything's meaningless. But you know what? Let's just pretend like it's not. Let's fake it until we make it to that day when we die and everything goes back to meaningless. Jesus is the light of the world. <laughs> he comes to us and he shines in the darkness. And he puts himself at the very center of the universe and says, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have light. John goes on and describes Jesus this way. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. You can almost hear John saying, can you believe how crazy this is? The one who created everything, who created this this world that you and I inhabit. He came, and he came to his own people. He's referring to the chosen folks of Israel back at the time of Jesus, who had been set apart to be the, the people through whom God would send the Messiah. And so he says that Jesus came to his, his very own people, and they did not receive him. If you were to continue reading in the Gospel of John, you'll come to chapter 6, and you'll know there's this place where Jesus describes himself as the, as the bread of life, and he calls people to feast upon him. He uses this image in the back of every Israelite's mind of the time when God provided manna for the people when they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land, this manna of life. And Jesus says, I am that manna of life. I am the bread of life. Feast on me. And people started losing their minds. They're like, he's gone crazy. And in fact, so many people began leaving Jesus. They had to turn to his disciples and ask them, are you guys going to leave as well? Jesus was wildly popular at many times through much of his, his ministry. But as he approached Jerusalem, he began to be more pointed in what he said. And this particular time, all those people who before were fans, who thought this is the man, all of a sudden said, this is crazy, no more, and they left. So Jesus turned to his disciples and said, are you guys going to leave as well? Do you remember what Peter said? He said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? I love that answer. It makes me think that Peter was looking at the options, right? <laughs> you know, it is hard following Jesus. Sometimes he says things that we don't understand. Sometimes he says things that, that maybe are not popular. Sometimes he calls us to do very hard things. But where else can we go? Jesus has words of eternal life. All else is darkness. And so they continued all in. But by and large, Jesus' own people rejected him. But John tells us this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of, man, of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did you catch what he said at the very beginning there? But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To receive Jesus is to receive who he is and all that he is for us. And it's synonymous with believing in his name. He's been given the name that is above every name. He's the, he's the chosen one. He's the Messiah. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. To believe into this person, to receive him, has amazing consequences. Did you see what it says? He gives people the right to become children of God. Think about this with me for a moment. When we believe in Jesus, when we trust him with our lives, with our salvation, we're being, we're being given the right to be called children of God. And there, there's a sense in which you know, everyone, because they are creations of God, are connected to God by that fact. God is the creator, we are the creation. There is that creator-creature distinction. But here, John tells us, when you believe in Jesus, something better takes place. You go from just being a mere creature existing in God's world to being a child of God. Now think about this. We live at a time, especially at a time, where everyone is told to create an identity, to express themselves. Social media is filled with people trying to convince folks of a particular image of themselves. I'm not saying social media is bad, but I'm saying that we live in a particular time where everyone is seeking an identity to, to express themselves, saying, this is who I am. And think about this for a moment. It's not saying this is who I was created to be, but th this is who I am. Not who I'm redeemed to be, but, but this is who I am. And so it can be sports or body image or hobbies or any kind of creativity, but continually expressing yourself and hoping that there are likes and that people will kind of authenticate your decision. But you see, my friends, how this is kind of a treadmill of slavery. You've got to express yourself. You've got to tell people what your identity is. And then you need people to validate that. And this treadmill slavery is brutal because if someone doesn't authenticate your chosen identity, it becomes threatening to you. And you have to exclude others or attack or cancel them because your salvation is dependent upon this created identity that you've come up with. But you see, my friends, for the believer, identity is not something that we achieve. It's something simply that we receive. When we become followers of Jesus, when we believe in him, you are given the identity that you need not just, not just simply to make sense of yourself, but to live rooted in ultimate reality of God. Listen to how John says this in his first letter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God? And so we are. My friends, I hope this never becomes something you just take for granted. Yes, I'm a child of God. Next. What else? This should astound us. <laughs> he says, see, the old, the old language said, behold. What kind of love is this that the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God? He goes on and says, beloved, we are God's children now. Not just simply we will become when we die and go to heaven. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. 
But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. John is telling us that even now in our broken and fallen condition, redeemed, we are now children of God. Even though we're not perfect, that will be made done one day when Jesus comes back. But now we are the children of God. We're going to sing these lyrics in just a moment. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You see, my friends, while we're calling our study today, Jesus is the reason for the season, and so are we. The reason Jesus came into this world was to redeem you, yes, but to bring you into his family. This quote from J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, is one of those that just has really been defining in my own life. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Here, J.I. Packer is telling us, you can't get much more at the core of Christianity than to understand that because of Jesus, you get to be adopted into God's family. You get to be called a child of God. And so John says, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here, John stacks several descriptors, things that we might look to, our pedigree, or our own effort. And he says, no, that has nothing to do with it. You are born a child of God because it was the act and will of God. Later in this gospel, John is going to quote Jesus as saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That phrase, born again, literally means born from above. Born from God. N.T. Wright once again. God wants people from everywhere to be born in a new way. Born into the family which he began through Jesus, which has since spread throughout the world. John is telling us that Christ didn't come just for his own people, but for all kinds of people, not just for the Jewish race, but for all races, not for those who have it all together, but even for those who, who don't. Jesus wants to make people, all kinds of people, into children of God. And then he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Here John goes back to Verse 1, and pulls up that word he used to describe Jesus as the logos. Instead, the logos, the logos, this, this thing that the Greeks and Romans think is an impersonal force. The logos has become flesh and dwelt among us. This is what we call the incarnation. It literally means enfleshment or embodiment. Part of the good news of Christmas is not simply or merely that God is watching us from a distance, but that God has become one of us in the person of Jesus. He has embodied himself in human flesh. When John tells us that the word took on flesh, 
It, it, that original language literally means to encamp, <laughs> to pitch a tent, to abide or to live in, to tabernacle. In fact, there's one translation that says that Jesus took on flesh and tabernacled among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase of the scripture called The Message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God's not merely watching us from a distance, but God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and moved into the neighborhood. If we lived at the time of Jesus, we could talk to God. We could talk to God with a bod, as someone has said. And this is really astounding. Listen to what Tim Keller says as he's as he points out the uniqueness of what we're saying. He writes, No other religion, whether secularism, Greco-Roman paganism, Eastern religion, Judaism, or Islam, believes God became breakable or had a body. Eastern religion believes the physical is illusion. Greco-Romans believe that the physical is bad. Judaism and Islam don't believe God would do such a thing as live in the flesh. But that's exactly the message of Christmas. God took on a body. He took on flesh, just like yours, just like mine. He became one of us to explain who God is for us. That's why when you walk around in stores at this time of year, like I did recently, and heard this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, it just drips with this theology of the incarnation. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. When I heard this over the speakers, I wanted just to stop everyone and say, hey, do you understand what's being said here? <laughs> this song that's just playing in the background as part of the Christmas season is asking you to see in the person of Jesus the divine being, the creator of all, fleshed out before us. And it calls us to worship him. It gives us the name, or gives him the name, Jesus, our Emmanuel, that phrase that means God with us. What an appropriate description of Jesus. And so, N.T. Wright said, that's the theme of the gospel, of this gospel. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. The mystery of the incarnation. God becoming one of us, God becoming for us. Or as John Stott, the late Anglican minister, said, if you, want to, if you find it hard to believe in God, I strongly advise you to begin your search, not with philosophical questions, but with Jesus of Nazareth. I love that tie-in to the Gospel of John here. Sure, talk to the Greco-Romans about the Logos. That might give you some interesting things to think about. But if you really want to know about who God is, take a long and hard look at Jesus. He is God with us, God for us. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus is the best explanation slash evidence of who God is, then what does that mean for you? If what we say Christmas is really about, what does that really mean for you? And in a sense, it should mean everything. It should mean that we are, we're not alone. God is not merely watching us from a distance, but he has come for us. And because he has come for us, that changes everything. That means everything. As John will later put it in his letter, God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his son into the world that we might live through him. We have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. So we have come to know 
and believe the love that God has for us. My friends, I hope this Christmas season you experience that love that God has for us in a new and fresh way. And so Mercy Hill Church, may you rejoice in the reality that God came near to us in Christ, with us and for us, to make us his beloved children, both now and forever. Amen. Let every heart prepare him room.